The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. John Paz, and with me as always is the star of the show, former WWE Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, as well as one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling. He is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you today? Greetings. I'm doing great here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Beautiful warm day. It's going to be a great warm summer, but I look forward to it each and every time want to also mention a new sponsor to the show, and that is Manscaped. Support the Dr. Tom Pritchard's Taking You to School show and support Manscaped, who is the world's best below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Dr. Tom, what do you think about Manscaped? What a great addition uh, to taking you to school, and I want to thank you and, and Manscaped for, for coming on board, taking a chance with us, because i got to tell you, I remember early on, and, and I was just starting in this business as a wee baby, if you will, and uh, I learned uh, by trial and error, so to speak, man. Back then, we didn't have such great things as manscape and the lawnmower and things like that. All we had was scissors and a and a sharp, dangerous, straight razor blade. So, uh, boy, we've come a long way, baby. And I, I tell you, I'm I'm happy not only for Manscaped being on board, but I'm happy for Manscaped for all they do for all the men out there that know the true secret to what it takes to be that undesirable, undeniable, nature boy, limousine riding, jet plane, jet plane flying and kiss stealing, we know son of a gun, I will almost go out on a limb here and say that the nature boy is happy for Manscaped too. Now, if you think about it, that is why, you know, you could be now really a true heavenly body because Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer, the Manscaped has engineered 18 months, basically, perfecting the world's greatest ball hair trimmer. It is the greatest one ever created. It's really just released, new and improved. It's the Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code POWERTRIP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use the promo code POWERTRIP. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it finally, finally... 
Manscaped accidents are a thing of the past thanks to these guys coming up with something revolutionary and making sure that everybody does what they need to do safely. And that's a good thing these days. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And speaking of doing things safely, what is going on, JPWA, first week back? Is everything safe and sound over there? Everything is tremendous. We've had, uh, we had 14 people sign up. Uh, for this summer edition of JPWA, and uh, we changed our schedule around just a little bit. Uh, we we all talked Monday night, and uh, we were going to do Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and and Sundays were going to be our promo day. And we did promos this afternoon, and as we record this, it's a Sunday night. But uh, everyone decided and agreed upon. Uh, Doing a full week, so we're going to do Monday through Friday, making Wednesday our promo night in two hours, um, and go from there. But uh, we have some very promising young hopefuls that came in from all over the country, and um, it, it was it was great to see, especially after everyone being cooped up for three months, whatever it was, coming in, and and uh, it's like any other wrestling or boxing gym we we don't have air it's hot today was one of the hottest days they said of the year so far we got we got up to 98 degrees i believe pretty daggum hot but uh but the thing is it's it's wrestling and it's wrestling practice wrestling training it's supposed to be fun but there's a lot of work involved and a lot of discomfort at times, uh, which helps you get past and helps your endurance and helps your mindset, I believe. So JPWA uh, came back strong, and I'm, I'm very happy about it. And we are going to have a tremendous summer, I can already tell. Love it. And right now, this episode, we are going to take you all the way back 1984 and the promotion known as Pacific Northwest Wrestling PNW out there in Portland, formerly also at one point in time known as Big Time Wrestling, also known as Portland Wrestling, obviously based out of Portland, Oregon. Portland Wrestling was founded by Herb Owen in 1925. It was the Northwest Territory of the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, from its inception in 1948 until 1992. This area was really truly brought to its prime by Herb's son, Don Owen, and his version, which was the Pacific Northwest Wrestling, which we will get into today. First and foremost, Dr. Tom, how did you get into the Pacific Northwest? Well, once again, that was the first territory I was actually supposed to uh, compete in full-time until Gary Hart told me I'm now going to uh, Los Angeles. So uh, I, I believe once I got back uh, from man, see, I had this all down, and I, I used to have a lot better memory. But uh, I'm trying to think ha- who actually called. I don't. I don't believe it was me. It might have been. It might have been Paul Bosch again because I left. It was 1984, so I was coming back from. Uh, was it Houston or Tennessee? One of those territories. I believe and, you were in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, might have been C- Memphis. CWA. Yep. 
Okay. Well, then, uh, but someone from the Houston office, I believe, called Don Owen and uh, booked me, and we hooked up. I connected. I, I do remember the first time I met Don at the Portland Sports Arena. He says, yeah, I remember Paul Bosch calling me up, telling about this kid he's got. Uh, expect you to see him uh, four weeks later, and here it is six years later. But I finally seen you or something, or four <laughs> years, whatever it was. Yeah. You know, and Don, Don was Don was a uh, uh, promoter. He was a classic old school guy, and Portland, Oregon, was well known in the business as a place to go to cut your teeth. It was up in that small corner of the Pacific Northwest where you could go and learn, make mistakes, learn how to be in a main event, learn how to tell a story, learn how to how to uh, get some reps in, get some time in. They had two out of three falls, and you still went back to the dressing room in between falls, you know, and that was, that was I think, the last place in the country to do that. You know, in the old days, in the beginning, everybody did. Everybody would – uh, go back to the locker room in between falls, and then it got to be where they just stayed out in the ring for for two minutes. But it was known within the business that Don Owen was a fair man, and uh, you could work every night and uh, make a, a comfortable living. You could there were short trips, be home every night, and. Uh, it was a beautiful part of the country. It really, really was. Kind of like Pensacola and uh, in the, the lower Alabama area. Uh, it was one of those places guys went when uh, they, they, they didn't need a lot of high pressure, I guess, because Portland was um, certainly low pressure. But it was, uh, man, they, they talk about the talent that went there and, and, and were developed and, and broke through. It was an incredible. When you first get there and you meet Don Owen, and, you know, he's just a little bit sarcastic to you, do you kind of like him right off the bat? What's the yeah. impression of him? No, I like Don. He, he was, he was uh, you could tell, and, and I've read this in various places, and he said it, same way I've heard him say it, uh, that he doesn't need every, – everywhere else was a big man territory, but he doesn't need, you know, big guys if they can't uh, entertain his fans. And, and the fans – his fans in the Northwest want actions, and, and they may, the guys he has may not be the biggest, but they're, they're damn sure the best and that kind of stuff. So, uh, And when I got there, you know, I, I, that's where I first met Kurt Henning, and uh, Jerry Oski and uh, Brett Sawyer, yeah, Buddy Rose. I I think that was where I first met Buddy and Rip Oliver and and Dave Sierra, the assassin. He was working as the assassin up there, and uh, it was it was, you know, I I, I really do, uh, and I really did try to look at everywhere I went as enjoying it and enjoying the city I was going to live in, the town, whatever it may be, enjoying the cities and towns I was going to go work in. And again, you have to realize it it was the eighties and I don't want to romanticize it, but at the same time, it was an exciting time to be in the business. And, um, it it really was like being at sea almost because you would have those stormy days and wonder if you were uh, 
I'm going to capsize, and then other days would be a lot calm, and a lot of calm, and a lot of uh, uh, full full speed ahead type thing, you know. But um, everybody was was enjoying life. Everybody was enjoying the business, and my God, it, it was a great setup. They they had a place called the Bomber motel i mean i I don't want to i don't want to go ahead and and start talking if you have questions or or comments about what we did but the bomber motel was famous just like the falcons rest in atlanta and i lived there right next door to jerry gray and um it, it was it was a great time to be in professional wrestling in in 1984 that's for sure what was going on over there at the Bomber Motel? A lot of uh, partying, a lot of craziness. Hmm. Well, let me ask you this: well, If if you were going to go see the Pope in the Vatican, what what would you think was happening in the Vatican? Well, <laughs> uh, and that's a double edged sword because you know if you if you believe, then you're going to say one thing, and if you don't, you're going to say another thing, I guess. And man, I got to tell you, I believed. And in Portland, Oregon, at the Bomber Motel, it was the place that that. Um, Everybody knew. Well, let me say this: the 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 people who knew where the guys lived, where the boys lived, and wanted to get to know the boys, knew how to get to know the boys, and knew where to go to get to know the boys. They had some clubs there, but, but for the most part, we we went out a couple times. And when I say we, Mondo Guerrero was there too. He was, and I had known him from California, but. We were working six nights a week, and um, the there were times we would stay over. And I'm thinking of another. Matt Bourne was also there. Chief Running Hill was there. God, dog, it was it was a nice crew. It really was a fun crew. And back then, in 1984, I've guys have talked about it. I've talked about it, and then I've listened back and I've gone, maybe I shouldn't have talked about it, but. But it was such a um, a time in the culture, in the business, uh, that people were, I, I think, being a little more free and being a little more um, uh, wild and crazy at the same time. And and Portland was a perfect place to do it. It was a it was a nice setup. You had. The Portland Sports Arena you had LaPrenzi's Gym, downtown Portland, famous, famous gym. And Sunshine, it was one of the best summers ever in, in 84, they said. But but it rained there a lot, too. It was, it was the climate. But when it was sunshine and nice, man, it was sunshine and nice because they had mountains, too, and they had lakes, and they had uh, water and and a lot of fun things to do. And um, at the same time, I got to be uh, a wrestler and in the wrestling business. And it was a different business back then because everybody was um, kayfabing. That's good. We had fun kayfabing. Then we get together and... Uh, have fun together. So, you know, uh, it, it was it was great. I saw something last night with Ricky Morton. He said, "Man, I was a rock star, and I 
And I, it was pretty damn cool. And I understood what he meant. You know, I was never in Ricky's stratosphere by any stretch of the imagination. But, but I think wrestlers at that time and in places like Portland, uh, when when people would regularly watch the TV show, they would recognize us when we went out. And um, that that can be. I guess intoxicating and mesmerizing to some, and it could be terrifying and um, uncomfortable for others. And yeah, it's it's very cool. But but I've, I can't explain my my character defect here. But I've always been uh, reclusive, and I'm not so much these days. But but nobody really knows me these days, and I'm okay with that. But I was okay with it even then. I just wasn't sure how to uh, react when somebody came up to you and says, hey, aren't you Tom Pritchard? Well, yes, I am. What do you say after that? (laughs) There's nothing to say. But there's others who really got off on it and enjoyed it, and, and, uh, and, and rightfully so. But we had a great time. We had a great time. And, and when Ricky said that last night, I thought, yeah, because you, you were doing things uh, hell, we were more. Everybody back in the eighties was certainly more rock and roll lifestyle, even than the rock and roll lifestyle people were living. A lot and of those rock, guys, huh? And and the rock and roll express, right? But those, the rock and roll express certainly lived up to the rock and roll express. I've known them since the, since the beginning of the rock and roll express, and they were certainly stars from the beginning. So I, I will give them all the props in the world. But but yeah, man, it was it was just a very cool place, a very cool time, and a very uh, uh, a, a very cool environment to be in. Don Owen was a was a wonderful man. His brother Elton ran Eugene and some of the other towns on that end of the territory. And Elton was a like a cartoon character. Uh, he would he might imbibe. And uh, having a uh, an adult beverage during the shows on occasion, as did his wife uh, Betty. And when Betty had uh, whatever she was having, she would go down to the ring and start pounding on the mat and, and uh, giving the heels a bunch of shit and cheering for the baby faces, but just drunk as hell. And, you know, that was it. Everybody knew she was Elton's wife, and, and she talked to all the fans. But that was, again, you're going to Eugene, Oregon, in the Pacific Northwest, and, and that was your clientele. And it was great because people were having fun. And But it was, you know, uh, you go to Elton's town, and, and he might have uh, four matches, you know, two singles and a tag match for the main event. And somebody would have to referee. So maybe he'd have three matches in a, in a tag. And somebody from the first two matches would referee the rest of them. Somebody from the main event would referee the first match and, and do it like that. It's like, ah. Uh, you know, so you switch the referee shirt back and forth and be sweaty and stinking. And it's like, oh, my God. But even that, even that was part of the learning process and part of the process in that environment. And, and it gave us, it gave me a lot of stories. Uh, one story in particular, Matt Bourne. If I didn't see this with my own eyes, I I wouldn't 
I couldn't confirm it, and I don't know that I believe it because guys talk shit all the time. But I actually saw this. Uh, Elton used to smoke cigars, and he would come down to the dressing room and or come in the dressing room and want to talk sometimes. And and again, he he was he he was a crazy looking guy. Had a you know the crooked nose and had been in boxing. I don't know if he wrestled. He might have, but Elton left his cigar on the bench. And Matt Bourne went over, picked up the cigar, and was nude except for his boots, and <laughs> put the cigar up his ass. Oh, I mean, yes, 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 yes. And I'm watching. And then Matt walks around the room to show everybody, <laughs> and everybody's going, ooh, ooh, and then he takes it out and puts it back on the, on the bench. A couple minutes later, Elton comes back. Yes, he does. He takes the cigar and puts it in his mouth. Oh, so <laughs> and 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 Matt on cue would say, "Elton, how can you smoke those those things? Don't they taste like shit?" And, and Elton, <laughs> Elton says, "No, I kind of like them," and walked out. And it's like it, it, unbelievable, crazy things that you hear people say, and you go, oh, "Yeah, right." No, that that's. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> exactly right. And shit like that happened all the time. And that it is was, a great rib. Yeah, well, yeah, not not for Elton, but right. you know, yeah, yeah, it was just because Elton would do the thing where I don't know if this is in my bio with about um uh Portland, Oregon wrestling, but Elton had a thing called the shooting champion. Are you familiar with this? No, no. Oh, fantastic. Kurt Hennig was the shooting champion when I got there. Elton loved to see shoots. He loved to see guys really go at it, and, and he wanted to see if you were an athlete. He wanted to see if you were a wrestler, and he wanted to see if you could take somebody. There was a guy, uh, Wayne Ferris there, big guy, good amateur, but Elton hated him. He didn't like – Elton didn't care for Matt Bourne either for whatever reason. Couldn't tell you. Not and, Wayne Ferris, right? Huh? Not D. Wayne Ferris, right? No, Wayne. I'm sorry. Not, are you talking about Honky? Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about Wayne. Uh, no. It wasn't Wayne. It wasn't Honky Tonk. It was Wayne something else. I thought it was Wayne Ferris. No, no, it wasn't. This is this is a big guy. Amateur wrestler. Had a mustache. Bulky guy. Uh, if you read some of the names, Scott Wayne. Scott Ferris, maybe? Any of the any of the cards say Scott Ferris or any of the cards from because I I worked with him in Eugene. Scott Ferris, hmm. Wayne Ferris doesn't uh, okay. doesn't ring doesn't ring a bell. I will I will check. Uh, honest to goodness, it really is inconsequential. Oh okay, <laughs> it doesn't matter. But this guy was a great amateur wrestler, and Elton didn't care for him. He's from Oregon, and uh, when I got there, they told me say listen. Elton had a trophy he would give the guy who would win the shoot, and you had to carry the trophy with you. And when when you got to Elton's downs, uh, he would ask somebody, hey, you feel like shooting tonight? Oh, sure. Shake hands. Oh, you shake hands like a man. And Can you shoot? Well, yes, sir, I can. Uh, I couldn't shoot a gun. I've never, you know, and, and – mm. But, yeah, and they told me, he says, listen, when he asked you, and I'd already heard this, but, but Kurt pulled me aside and said, look, Elton's going to ask you if you can shoot, say, hell yeah. And uh, 
what what he did what he would do is uh the winner if if you guys would go out for a minute and really shoot you know for a minute we're going to be competitive and and you're going to see who gets the advantage and uh i think the winner would get 30 bucks the loser would get 25 or 30 or 30 or 20 whatever it is that we split the difference everybody made the same you know we just come back but but it was like um elton and i kept telling El- elton didn't seem to really know but 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 i came back and said guys there's no way he can't there's no way i don't move like an amateur i'm not i'm not doing these things and, and they said no he really doesn't know he thinks he knows but he doesn't and uh so i i got to be as soon as kurt left I got to be the shooting champion because nobody else wanted to do it. Matt Bourne put me over. I think it might have been Scott Ferris. I think his name is Scott Ferris. Might not Wayne. It's Scott Ferris. Yes. Look him up. If you Google yes. him, I think yep. it's Scott Ferris. Big guy. Okay. So I beat I beat uh, Matt. I beat Scott Ferris. I beat hell. I beat anybody. I I think I was undefeated too. Yeah, Scott Ferris. That, you're right. Scott Ferris, not Wayne. I'm sorry. Yeah. So. So anyway, that was uh that was another element of Portland that was uh unique to that part of, part of the country. You you had Elton and, and Elton was a really good man too. He invited me and Brett Sawyer out to his to his house for dinner all day. He had a stock pond, we'd fish and um he was he was very a very nice man and Betty was actually a very nice lady when you got him away from the arena and they're not drinking and drunk and you know drunk and going up pounding the mat but but that was that was what it was back then and it was very very nice it was very very cool as far as like shooting champions this is like almost um, like Luthez where if you really need to shoot uh, you know you, you could be able to shoot. Well, no, I think it was just Elton's way of uh, some of these guys. Yeah, some some of of the promoters back then uh, wanted to have tough guys in their territory for whatever. Well, no, for the reason is because that's the business it was. They they wanted to have these guys who had these um, this mentality of. Uh, I'll kick your ass if I have to, and, and you get cute with me and all that bullshit. And I, and I understood it. I got it. I mean, no no worries, but um, it, I'm, I wasn't that guy. I was – I wanted to go and wrestle. I wanted to, to, to perform, and I wanted to, but I wanted to have a good match. And, and it's not about uh, – you know, having a good match, it, it's not just going out and, and performing. It's feeling it, too. And – uh, you know, I got to I got to have some pretty good matches out there, and, and Ed Waskowski, another guy, Colonel De Beers, was there mm-hmm. during this yep. time. I worked with him a few times, and Ed was always a cool guy, and he didn't have to be because he was a big man, but he knew how to. Um, he knew that if if he went out there and just ate your lunch, it meant nothing. There was nothing there. What? Why? That that's not the purpose. And he knew how to make it. Look good, feel good, and uh, uh, seem good. It, and that's the art, uh, especially as a heel taking a smaller baby face uh, and figuring out what makes him look credible and keeps you credible at the same time. 
so those little things um, that that we we did in Oregon uh, for a year was I, I think so instrumental in my education to the business. Not and not just in the ring either. I mean, Buddy Rose is is an interesting character to to get to know, and I. Uh, I always wanted to ask him, why did you leave New York? But I never did. And many, many years later, um, I'm sitting in catering talking to someone with WWE, and, and Buddy's name comes up out of the blue. And all of a sudden, uh, there's there's this story, and it starts. And, and when it ends... Uh, I've, I've had my answer as to why Buddy left New York, and it's not something I can repeat. It's not something I want to repeat. But, but, but it, it was like that, and I would, never would have thought that about Buddy. I never would have would have considered him um, even capable of uh, screwing up a, a place, screwing up an opportunity. I, you know what I mean? And because he seems such like such a professional when I was around him, but it just goes to show you that things happen and you wind up where you wind up and, uh, you either learn from it and move on or you don't. Your debut really January 14th of 1984 versus Tia, AKA, Boda, the witch doctor. Do you remember this? Do you remember that being your first match or possibly um, another first match? Oh, man. I got to tell you, um, I really, I, I never thought I would I would forget monumental occasions like that. But but honest to goodness, I, I just remember arriving, I think, two days before I'm supposed to start uh, at the bomber. And uh, I remember going to the to the sports arena. I remember, you know, the dressing rooms were connected. They had a monitor you could watch. But I don't remember who I worked with the first night. I really don't. I, I just remember uh, Mean Mike Miller, uh, who I who I knew from Georgia, who was a great guy. What a great fucking guy, man. He just uh, Rip Rip Oliver was a great guy too. I worked with Rip. Um, when I came home from Texas one time, and but as far as the the first match, I, no, I really, really don't. Then you started working with me, and Mike Miller, and what, what were your thoughts about him in ring? I know you knew him from Georgia, but what did you think about him at this point in his career? He well, once again, he was a guy who just like me hadn't hadn't really been given an opportunity, or maybe he. Uh, you know, he had been around Georgia putting people over for the longest time, and and he needed to get somewhere else to get a break and and get an opportunity to try something. And he had all the fundamentals. He had all the basics you needed. All he really needed to do was have someone give him a platform to go out and uh let him shine put him over and, and give him an angle give him give him a program that he can 
get his get involved in and have fun with and create with and and that's what they did. They made him mean Mike Miller. I'm the mean man and I and what a great guy. Just just the nicest guy in the back and, and the, the greatest guy in the ring because he knew uh, how to be a heel. He knew how to get a baby face over, and, and that's the job of a heel, to get the good guy over, and he did it well. He did it great. And um, I, I thought he was doing great, and, and once again, that was that was a learning territory. It was um, where most guys go in their first year, and uh, so, he, well, at least early on in their career, if they're, if they have the opportunity. And and to because they they had vets veterans hanging around, gosh, all these all these people are coming back in my head. Johnny Eagles was there too. Stan Stasiak was there, and Bobby Jagger showed up. Buck Ramstead, I remember seeing Buck Ramstead. Are are you familiar with Buck Ramstead? No. Okay, Buck Ramstead was crazy. But Buck Ramstead was one of those guys that I remember from Texas uh, who, who just happened to be on the card, and he caught my eye uh, because of the name and because he, he moved a little differently. And when he showed up in Oregon, he had shaved his head, was wearing a black glove, the, the long tights. He, he was a veteran. Uh, but he had his 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 distinct way, and um, he was going to do it that way. There was nothing going to change it. And when I worked with him, it it was a little awkward. And um, and I and I just I remember I I remember that he was uh, a a little odd in my estimation, in my opinion. And that's coming from uh, you know it's like. The, the pot calling the kettle black, but but it was true, you know. Right. I, yeah, yeah. I, I just and I didn't I was I wasn't condemning it or knocking it. I, I just thought, hmm, you know, we're we're in the right place because I don't know that he would work very well out in the uh, so-called civilized society or society in general. But but all those guys, they. It was still wrestling or wrestling or whatever, and it was still on the Saturday night, and it was still a packed arena with people uh, screaming and crying and yelling and screaming. Oh, it was great. It it really, really was, for me anyway. You mentioned some really big-time names there, Bobby Jaggers, Stan Stasiak. I mean, they definitely had some great talent coming in and out of that territory. Well, they, they did, and and Stan by this time was living in Oregon. He was selling uh, Hondas, I think, you know, uh, and and very happy to do so. Plus, go down and commentate and wrestle sometimes, and um, just just to be still involved. It 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 had that feel to it, and to have someone like Stan Stasiak still involved. Uh, lended credibility to us too. So, because he got in the ring and helped with the young guys, and because uh, no matter how long he held it, he he's he's a former WWWF champion. Uh, you can't erase that. You can't take it take it off his resume. Uh, whether it was a month or a year, he he held it. He he's he was a former champion, so he had that uh, he had that medal that he could wear, and he and he wore it. And um, 
Jaggers, you're right. Jaggers was was a uh, a name in the business that that worked Kansas City, Texas, and in different territories. And are you familiar with the legend of Bobby Jaggers? I am very familiar with him, but what what do you mean by the legend? Well, he could be driving in a car, passenger side, falling asleep, and uh, the guy driving be going, I don't know, 90 miles an hour, and all of a sudden uh, the guy would say, oh, man, see that deer? He goes, yeah, eight point from a dead sleep. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby was Bobby was known as a uh, person who would maybe stretch, exaggerate, or uh, flat out lie uh, about whatever was going on, just to have a story. But he was good to have around. He was a, he was a storyteller. He knew everything about everything, and uh, he he would just start talking, and it was entertaining because the boys know, knew he was full of shit. He didn't mean any harm. He just was was engaging and in, in, in being, uh, you know, having a conversation and entertaining everybody. And, and, and that's, you know, I've said it before. A lot of guys have said it and we cannot go back. We, I, I fully will we'll put that uh, statement up there, but, but what really is missing and what 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 uh, elements I think added and shaped the business back then was the dressing room interaction and yes uh, you still have it. It, it it's a different time and place and I know it fits the the the, the way things are today but it was such a closed society more so back then and it made it more special and it made you even think. Uh, in 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 different ways, because not everyone was allowed back in the back. You couldn't bring your girlfriend, boyfriend, dog, cat, whatever. It was a special place. It was a sanctuary. And unfortunately, too many times, um, and especially on Independence, I don't, I, you know, WWE security is so tight right now. Nobody gets in the back unless uh, unless they they do, unless they have the right credentials. So. But but back then you you couldn't even get past the security uh, railing or whatever it may be by the dressing rooms or by wherever it was, and nobody just walked in to the locker room, and that's because it should be a sanctuary and was a place where we could say things and and uh, you know go over what we needed to go over and do what what the guys needed to do without any anybody seeing and and having a cell phone or having to gossip and go out on the internet and put it out there. We didn't have all that back then. And uh I think that has a lot to do with the way I think about things now because while I do know it's necessary, we do have all these media outlets. We do have all these people with cameras and Instant knowledge right away. You 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 can't do the same finish you did in Eugene uh, down in Salem because people will know about it. But uh, at the same time, you know it was a lot more fun. It was a lot more 
let's not tell everybody what we're what what this really is about. Let's not give away the store. Let's not show them how the magic's done. And in a in a small place like the the Pacific Northwest, people are more willing to suspend uh, their beliefs and go out and have a fun time. And these days, I think everybody wants to be smart. Everybody wants to be part of the show. Everybody wants to go out and and sometimes hijack the matches. And we wouldn't let that happen back then. Or let me say this: it didn't happen. And maybe it did happen back then, but uh, I don't know that I ever really saw it. I, I'm, I'm sure it was out there, and I'm sure there were some matches people just went, eh, but not like today, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. When they team you up with Brett Sawyer, what were your thoughts on that? A great, good team, good chemistry? <laughs> Uh yeah, I and I had known Buzz from Atlanta and I liked oh, yes. I liked Buzz. I really did like Buzz um because he Buzz is 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 again one of those guys um similar to New Jack but completely different. Uh Buzz was insane. Buzz was was crazy and Buzz could be dangerous um to himself and others. <laughs> but but um I I like Buzz and I I think I understood Buzz. He he just uh was one of those guys that once he uh flipped the switch you you had to let it you had to let that that fuse burn all the way out cuz there's there was no way to to uh, pull him off. There was no way to to calm him down until he was ready to be calmed down. And and I've seen him on 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 a couple of occasions where uh I thought he was about to uh, where he was about to jump, let me say that. Where he's about to, to to do the Buzz Sawyer gimmick backstage um that he does in the ring and, and freak out and everything but he but he didn't he just you know again it's all uh not all of it's a work but but a lot of his performance and he, even back then we were thinking shoot but working and then all of a sudden you get lost in the in the work and it becomes a shoot and you get you get lost in all of it and so uh, i knew how buzz was and I, I had never met brett but but people were telling me about brett when i got to to Oregon and uh we were the same size we worked a lot alike and um so when I met Brett uh I could see where he's he buzzes half half brother I believe and he and Tommy Rogers uh were connected somehow too but I I yeah I I got along with Brett um I thought we did mix well but once again, we we were we were two different people too. He he had his uh, things he liked, and I had my things I liked. And sometimes they mixed, and sometimes he went his way, and I went my way. But um, I'll attribute that to my personality and my lifestyle back then. So uh, I had a good time with Brett. I really did, and and I got it. But he did his thing, and I did mine. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, technically speaking, you guys held the tag titles for quite a bit, two-time champs. Te- really, I guess you can say almost three times, but that other third time was really with Jerry Gray. But, you know, for most of the year, you, you're a tag champ. So, obviously, 
they like the pairing. They like what you guys are doing. Right, and and once again, that that goes back to Don saying, I don't care how big the guy is, as long as you just deliver action. And Brett Brett was a good worker in the ring. We and we delivered action. Plus, we had Dave Sierra and and Rip Oliver uh, to work with, and we worked with Buddy Rose and um, I, Matt. I, I had matches with Matt Bourne. Matt, I think Matt Bourne was highly underrated. Matt was. Yes. A, was was a great performer. He he was a great worker. He he was a great wrestler, and um, he I I, I certainly don't think he gets the credit uh, he should. So, yeah, we we did. We I I got along great with Brett, and I don't remember. Oh yeah, I do. I think it was because Buzz went to New York, and then Buzz got the book in Atlanta, and that's why he left. Uh, I was going to say I don't recall why, but but uh, now I do because Buzz. And, that, and that, I think that not only shocked me, it shocked a lot of people. Buzz, Buzz's book in Atlanta, what? Yeah. So not, but I don't think I don't think it was a long run. Uh, but it, but it, um, it, once again, uh, that that was the business. You know, guys would would go from place to place and wind up somewhere and uh, be be given an opportunity. But I, I'm sure you had to. Um, uh, yes, I'm, I'm definitely sure you had to go in and. Not only ask for the opportunity, but prove that you deserve the opportunity to book someplace. And uh, for as insane as Buzz demonstrated to me, he obviously uh, had some ideas that whoever else was in charge there said, "Yeah, go ahead, and take it." Somebody likes that crazy bastard. Uh, that's that's for sure. Well, wouldn't be the first time somebody got a job like that. Also, another kind of uh, name just to throw at you, which I love doing, Kendo Nagasaki. You guys worked quite a bit. Oh, man. You know, thank you. I forgot about Kendo. Kendo had that uh, collarbone that was popped out. And I've broken my collarbone twice, and it is the most pain I've ever been in. And I've been in some good pain. And I broke it twice. And Kendo had a, a really nasty collarbone sticking out. And I think he broke his twice, too. And, and I talked to him about it in his broken English. Uh, but he was another guy who I think I, I I met during a short stint in Texas right before he and Tanaka and, and Saito might have left. But he was, uh, yeah, yeah, he got up there and... Um, uh, I, I enjoyed working with him too. He 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 kayfabe the English a lot, but it was obvious he knew a hell of a lot more than he let on, and that was that was the gimmick back then too. Uh, most of the guys from Japan knew a lot more than they were letting on because everybody's working. Mm. So, yeah. yeah I- I spoke to Larry Dwyer. I don't know if you remember him, an old referee down in Texas, and he was saying that Kendo does know English, but he doesn't prefer to let you know that he knows English. So yeah, right. he doesn't really want to talk. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Much better. Also, another big name you mentioned, Buddy Rose, huge in Portland. I think everybody, when they think of that territory, they think of Buddy Rose, Matt Bourne, but also this man, Billy Jack Haynes. What do you think about Billy Jack? Well, <laughs> Billy Billy had just came back uh, shortly after I got there. He 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 was in WWF when I got there, 
and he was on his way back. I remember they played the video packages before before he got back. And um, the first night Billy was in the Portland dressing room, I remember again Don Owen. You know, everybody's in there, and the, their dressing rooms are all connected. Uh, Don came in and says, "Well, saw Billy," and he said, "Well." Big star, going to go to New York, huh? Yeah, how'd that work out for you? And Billy just smiled, kind of laughed, but Don was kind of needling him, too, because uh, my impression was Billy was one of those small-town, hometown guys uh, who looked great, obviously, but um, I, I don't know how to eloquently describe, and I don't know if I could eloquently do anything, but, but Billy didn't have the mindset or the attitude um, needed at that time to to remain with the WWF at that time and conquer New York like he wanted to, I believe, was the the reasoning behind Billy coming back. But... Uh, we, we, I was, I was kind of hanging with Mondo Guerrero because Mondo had a place close to the bomber and he also had a new, uh, I don't know if she was necessarily his wife or his girlfriend, but, but he had his girlfriend and she had a daughter, a young daughter, maybe nine or 10 years old. And, uh, after, after the show one night, Billy invited Mondo and I over to his house in Oregon, in Portland, excuse me. And we went over, um, and we went in, and he said, guys, uh, we can't eat on the couch, okay? Okay, no problem. We weren't really planning on eating on the couch, but okay. But he made it clear. So we're sitting there, and we're watching TV. And uh, it's Portland, Oregon, and they have a lot of great mountains. And, uh, you know, coffee has to grow on mountains. It doesn't grow on flat land, right? You do know this, correct? Yes. Yeah, you're just saying yes because you don't want to yes. the rest of the Yeah, okay, that, thank you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, well, they grow a lot of things in Oregon. And we're thinking, mm-hmm. well, Billy's from Oregon. And, of course, he has some of these things that grow in Oregon. And not one thing from Oregon comes out, and we're going, okay. And as I begin to bring out my spinach, Billy says, no, hmm. no, we can't do that. And I looked at him and said, oh, okay. So we're going to sit here and watch TV. And and I thought, no, this isn't, at that time in 1994, this isn't what I was doing. And Mondo and I looked at each other and said, well, man, i got to get home, man. we got to go home. So, okay, we did. Now, fast forward. Uh, and Billy was always nice, but Billy was, uh, I don't know what Billy was going through at that time, but I'm sure it was a lot. Anyway, I, I saw Billy earlier this year in Philadelphia, and if if anyone has seen his videos and things like that, you know he's he's mm-hmm. he could be interpreted as or or understood to be way out there. And um, when I talked to him in Philly, I, I got the impression he's working. 
um, but nobody else knows he's working, and he's he's doing it to to get attention and to get people talking about him, buzzing about him. Pardon me, one way or another. You know, I will again, I'll equate it to Andy Kaufman, but in a different sense, because uh, I don't know that Billy knows or 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 uh, knows that anybody else <laughs> doesn't think that far ahead in, in, in saying, hey, Billy's just doing this to get attention, mm. you know, because he does it too well. Right. But then when I talked to him in Philly, it was we were laughing about it, and we were laughing about things that he was saying and doing, and he told me some things he, he had done that people thought were a shoot, let's say, and people wouldn't know a shoot if it bit him in their ass, but especially with Billy. Um, and and he explained how the whole angle was set up. And then I talked to the other guy not too long ago who he set this angle up with. And he goes, yeah, we were just, Billy approached him and wanted to get this uh, uh, angle done. Uh, see if we could do this angle on this on this guy's show. And uh, and he said, sure, well, well, we'll do it. And I, I don't know whatever... If if, he, if Billy was able to parlay that into an angle or cash or, or or make it work for him somehow or another, I don't know what the payoff was on that. So uh, to 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 I don't even know if you asked the question. You just said Billy Jack Haynes. I like <laughs> Billy Jack Haynes, but but he was goofier than a pet owl in December or whatever. Yeah. You know what's interesting about him? Well, uh, interviewed him a while back, and he just says some wacky stuff, and then he tells you, like, you're right, then he tells you how he's working or whatever, blah, blah. Right. But he says some of the wackiest stuff about Vince. So I get a, a, a call out of the clear blue sky from somebody from that nice big tower, basically, mm-hmm. like, questioning me about Billy Jack Haynes. I'm like, no, he's nuts. <laughs> Trust me, he's like, he's nuts. I don't know what he's saying or what he's, like, what he's doing, but I go, he's definitely nuts. Well, no, no, no. He, he's I, look, look. I, I will never claim sanity. Uh, right, right. As long as yep. I, but, 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 but I think Billy's uh, not. <laughs> Billy is nuts. Yes, but at the same time, uh, for the rest of us nuts that that could be locked in the same room, mm. uh, he he does have. Um, these flashes of uh, Billy, you're not, you don't believe this and neither do we. And and you see him looking and he's, and he's really trying to hook you. That's my impression. I don't know that he's completely over the edge. Although a lot of the things I've heard him say too, and I've watched them, I've said them because Mm. they, they're, 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 they're entertaining to me. Because I because I know how he is and he, and he can be very quiet and reserved and he can be nuts. We're not going to eat on the couch, guys. Oh, we don't do that here. Oh, okay. Well, okay, I get it. He has his quirks and qualms. Uh, but but as we go on and later on, oh oh, the other thing was he was wearing a wig, kind of <laughs> kind of like Phil. Um, oh, Spectre. Oh yeah, yes. yeah. He, that's what it reminded me of, and and he's laughing about that too. And I thought, okay, you know it's ridiculous. You know it looks like it looks, and you know you're saying ridiculous things all the time in public, and it gets attention. And some people want that, and for whatever reason, 
you know, if it'll if it'll do something for you down the road, great. But you have to have it calculated, I think. And I don't know how far along he calculates. Yep. Now I got to mention this: going away from Billy Jack Haynes, maybe the crazy world of Billy Jack Haynes, into possibly the greatest moment or two moments you had in Portland wrestling two nights in a row. October 21st and October 22nd, NWA world title match versus the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, two nights in a row, Pendleton, then Moly Alley, uh, Oregon. Do you remember the Nature Boy, NWA world I, title matches? I do, and that was that was pretty cool. That's another thing guys got to do when they went to Oregon. When the champion came in, you had your guys like Billy Jack or Snooker or Piper who, who were going to take the towns like Portland and Eugene and Salem and then the rest of the towns, you know, you had the champion for two weeks or a week, whatever it was. And, uh, I think on that run, it was Billy Jack, uh, myself and maybe Brett, I want to say had, had matches with flair. And, and this was the first time I'd worked with him. And, um, uh, he, he came and said, what would you like to do it through there? I said, God, Rick, I, going to follow you. We'll have fun through. Have fun. And so we went out and, and did the flare match, and uh, I thought it was cool. I don't believe anybody in the arena had had <laughs> any hopes or dreams that in their town they were going to see the changing of the title, but but right. but we went out and had a, had a... I thought we had a wonderful match, and... and uh, yeah, I, I do remember those matches, and Rick was great. Rick really was great. Um, yeah, that's really all I can say. It was I, I had a lot of is that like nerve wracking at all. Like, oh, by yes. the way, the NWA World Champion in town, and you're wrestling tonight. Like the nerve wracking. Yes. For me, it was. I was 24 years old, and um, I yeah, I never thought. Uh, and that again, and and really, John, that goes back to. A huge thing in this business, you must have confidence, and it's something that uh, you you have to either grow into. I've grown into it since because I don't really have anything else to lose these days. So I believe I know what I can do these days. Back then, I wasn't so sure. I, I knew I could go out and have a match, uh, but now it's with the world champion, and well, he, I, he, I just didn't want to. Nobody wants to mess up, and you know, being being the being the port the the Pacific Northwest Tag Team Champions, being the Smoky Mountain Tag Team Champions, and, and maybe even let's say the the WWF Tag Team Champions. Okay, but now you're wrestling at that time the NWA World Champion when the NWA actually meant something and 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 was considered still uh, the premier wrestling organization in the world. So whether it's a work, whether it's show business, whatever it may be, it's still Ric Flair. It's still the top guy. It's still the man that, uh, uh, who, who, who I saw, uh, wrestle from the time he started too. he, he made trips to Texas and then when he won the title. So, yeah, it was nerve wracking just, just for the fact that I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to come off as a, uh, uh, amateurish kid, and whether that was anybody's perception or not, it was certainly my fear 
and uh, I wanted to make sure it was good. And and every time I've met and and run across Rick through the years, um, always went to the gym with him. We're at whatever territory we were at, and if we didn't go to the gym, we did the squats and the push-ups with the deck of cards. Did I ever tell you the story in a nowhere on Portland? Uh, I don't know. If, I think I did. We went over Continental from the bar, and we went down to the pool. Kevin Sullivan and myself, Bruce was in town in Birmingham. Uh, have I not told that one, or maybe I have, I haven't, or I don't know. No. Hmm. Well, Ric Flair, the world champion, travels everywhere and carries a deck of cards. All right, well, he's in Portland or Birmingham, and uh, this is after Portland, I think. Yeah, I think. Had to be his late 80s. Yes, it was. Yes. Anyway, so so the boys stayed at the Radisson when we were in Birmingham, and especially we still lived in Pensacola, but when we had towns up by Birmingham and in Alabama, we're going to stayed there a couple of days. We all stayed. The Heels stayed at the Radisson. I think most boys stayed there. Anyway, uh, it's the bar that night, and uh, Rick comes in and orders his trays of kamikazes, and we're drinking. Bruce had flown into Alabama to visit for, again, there were times when we would visit each other wherever we were at. He would fly to me, I'd fly to him. And on this particular occasion, he flew to Birmingham. And uh, in the bar, we're drinking uh, kamikazes. And we go to our rooms at finally 3.30 in the morning. And uh, Flair had said, all right, we're going to go to the gym in the morning. So we'll leave by 8. You got it, Nate. We'll, we'll be there. We go to our rooms at 3.30, uh, crash. I think it was 8, so whatever time it was, early in the morning, my phone rings. And all I hear on the other line is, squats by the pool, 10 minutes, click. Well, I am in a a fog and dazed. Bruce, I I get up, um, put on some shorts and a T-shirt, Splash water in my face. I think I brushed my teeth. I'm pretty sure I did just to get that funk out, man, because my head was still spinning. And uh, Bruce comes out with me. He's still spinning, too, and go out by the pool, and and there's Rick. Uh, Kevin comes shortly, Kevin Sullivan. And um, Rick has the deck of cars. Now, this is early in the morning, maybe 8 o'clock, and the sun is shining through, and it's starting to get warm. This is, I, I had to be the summertime. And um, we start the squats. So you, you you turn the card over and whatever it says on there, you know, a 10, 10 squats, face card 10, and we go through the whole deck. Well, we went through the whole deck, did the squats. Uh, I threw up. And then I, I dove in the pool, came back out. Now we have to do the push-ups. So we go through the deck again. I And I don't miss a card. I do every push-up, every squat, and we alternate all three of us. We go through it. I dive in the pool again, come out, throw up again. Hmm. But but I didn't stop. And Rick will tell that story every time from then on. That was about 87 or 88, whatever it was. 
So, you know, there's things uh, that bond us in this business. And getting drunk as shit on kamikazes and, and squatting, going doing the, the, the car, the deck of cards is something that uh, uh, that Ric Flair and I bonded over, so. Yeah, That's not, awesome. not, it, yeah, awesome. we didn't get to, we didn't get to bond over the great match we had in Oregon. Two great matches, but but uh, I remember them and I remember they were great. But but you know, it's it's just being a part of uh, uh, a part of that and showing Rick that look, you know, wh- whatever it takes, I'm going to show you. I, I will. You're going to have to kill me to try and make me. Uh, you're going to have to kill me to make me quit. However that sounds. Love it. Hey, of course, I was going to remember a puking story over. Uh, Yes, yes, of course. So, The last known match that I know of that you had in Portland, January 19th, 1985, so basically one full year in Portland, you defeat the Cuban Assassin two out of three falls. Is this the last match? Do you remember this? I think this is because this was right after I uh, had gone home that Christmas. And I visited um, the guys in Houston. Uh, went down and saw everybody at the Coliseum. Brett was there, actually. Brett DB, uh, Brett DiBiase, Brett uh, Sawyer, uh, DiBiase was there. Uh, Stan Lane, <laughs> and uh, oh yes, I uh, went. I went that Christmas and uh, saw everybody. Dundee was booking for Mid South. This was right after rock and roll and midnight were getting ready to uh uh finish up their angle and i think i'm not sure uh rock and roll is going to to crockett first and then midnight was going to follow so i think rock and roll was getting ready to go to the carolinas midnights were going to dallas and kind of spend some time there while rock and roll got over then they were going to go into you know just as it as it as it panned out and uh so yeah when i got back to portland after that that's when uh, i guess it was dundee who called me back and wanted to see if i want to go to louisiana but again they were changing the crew they were finishing up some guys so there were some spots coming open and i had been in portland for a year and it was time to go but but i had uh, a lot of fun there it was great Overall, you enjoyed the territory and it got you ready for Mid-South? I really enjoyed the territory, but nothing was going to get me ready for Mid-South. It was <laughs> it was one of those things um, that I learned, uh, especially working for Dundee, working as the booker, uh, because, I, you know, it, sometimes we see things right in front of us, but we don't want to look right in front of us. We, we want to look every which way, but but directly ahead to where the answers lie. And uh, after my, my, the, the thing I gained in Mid-South was Bill Watts turned me heel. Bill Watts actually noticed. And Bill Watts, uh, for whatever, however small a notice it was and whatever uh, interaction it was, um, he, he, he interacted with me and, and told me that he thought I would, would be a good heel but when we got when, when it was time to finish up you know dundee was leaving and wanted to take myself and pat rose to memphis with him and and i went and uh 
one night, Pat asked Bill, he says, Bill, what what do we have to do to get a break? And I'll never forget, Bill looked at him and says, well, first of all, you have to have somebody like you. And Pat says, you like us, don't you, Bill? And he shook his head, no. You know, ribbon <laughs> playing, but but he goes, no. And, 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 and I understood what he meant in that moment. And I understood what he meant. It's a relationship business. And and, and I was, um, I knew it, uh, but that was, that was a, Mid-South got me ready for later on. And, and, and I was grateful for that too. But Portland, Portland got me ready for, uh, for the next step. Yeah, I, I think it did because, um, because you had to survive, and and I survived, uh, survived Portland, and I survived Mid South, and and Portland didn't do anything bad at all to me. It was, uh, it really was a nice trip. Everybody there, from Don to his son Barry, Owen, and Elton and Betty, Sandy Barr was a great man. Um, Stan Stasiak was a lot of fun. All those guys. It was it was a family business in a business that all the guys were taking care of. And while kayfabe is really an outdated thought process today, back then it was a lot of fun because uh, even when people knew it was all bullshit, um, you had guys who would still continue it and carry it over and not admit and not cop to anything. And that was always fun to watch. And it was almost a, a battle of wills with people sometimes. You know, like uh, they wanted you to give them a wink and a nod. And, and uh, back then, it, it, it just wasn't done. I'm sure it was done, but it wasn't done as often. And nowadays, and today, again, right, wrong, or indifferent, the, the, the place and in, in time that we are in right now is, is completely different. Than, than anything uh, early on, and um, but but everything is different than than it was twenty, thirty, forty years ago. Everything is from uh, media to uh, live performance and things like that. So I, I I think that while it's it's a it's a tale from a land far far away. Uh, I think it's still necessary and even redeeming to a to a point to have those stories and and to reminisce. And if you want to romanticize in hell, no, I don't want to. But sometimes it's nice to because it was a romantic time in 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 the business. It was a period of um, you were going out on the road. You're traveling from town to town by car most of the time. You would get to a building, and people would actually fill the building, and they would be fans, not marks. There is a big difference, Mm -hmm. but they would be fans, and they appreciated what you did when you went out and 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 gave gave it your all in a match, and you put forth um, everything and all the elements combined that made that match and made that magic when you went in the ring. And that's the way we looked at it then. And I look back on it uh, then as what it was. And uh, unfortunately, 
that a lot of guys won't get to uh, experience that because it's an art that, that that's vanished and um, you can talk about it all day. We can describe it all day, but uh, I don't believe there's any way to actually feel it the way we did. Well said. Now, as far as some plugs, Pro Wrestling Tees has a store. You can pick up a, a JPWA shirt or a Dr. Tom Pritchard shirt. A Patreon page has been set up. You can become a patron and support a JPWA. Also, stop, stop. Let me just say this real oh, quick because yes, for those yes. who have just joined our Patreon as well, we haven't had a whole lot of new content, but I just talked to our uh, social media director this afternoon, and we are in the process. And nice. hopefully this week we are going to get some new content on Patreon very, very soon. So I just wanted, wanted to interject that. Nice. Very cool. All right. Look at that. Some breaking news. I like that. Um, as far as website, JPWA's website, jpwrestlingacademy.com. You could also check out the new tmptempire.com while you're uh, surfing the web. You can check that out there. You can follow Dr. Tom on Twitter at Dr. Tom Pritchard. You can follow me at Two Man Power Trip. And I must mention this, a complete one-year training curriculum and guide for beginners and seasoned pros, a pro wrestling curriculum, advice, suggestions, and stories to help the aspiring pro get to the next level. That is Dr. Tom's book. Dr. Tom, where can they get it? Amazon has the book. Uh, uh, anytime, uh, all day long, all night long, you can just type in Dr. Tom Pritchard's book and it will come up. Also, if you would like a personally signed autograph book, you can send it to my PayPal. Um, it's at Dr. Tom or Dr. Tom Pritchard at AOL.com. And uh, just make sure you put in the notes who you would like the books made out to, and I will send that out for $25. Uh, so uh, either Amazon.com or uh, at PayPal. We'll get it done. Great deal. Love it. And don't forget as well, Manscaped.com. Use the promo code POWERTRIP for 20% off and free shipping. So that's some great stuff as well. Let me just say this, man. You know what I think one of the coolest things on that is, man? They got an LED light, right? Like, just it shines and illuminates all the grooming areas for all that all that precision trimming you need to do. And that's something we didn't have back then either. So, I mean, life is good, John. Life is really, really good. I totally agree. And I'd like to thank everybody for joining us this week. And we will see you next week on Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.